Hey, Star Trek from the Holodeck listeners. If you want to support our show, help keep us on the air, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital, and pledge $5 or more a month. And when you do, you gain access to an entire library of Star Trek breakdowns from discussions on Q to the Borg to Seven of Nine and the Maquis. We do it all. And when I say hundreds of hours, I'm not exaggerating. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Help us and help yourself. Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael Flores, the captain, and in the studio at the helm is Ensign David Saval. Hello. I love this series. <laughs> it's getting better. I it's will say that, better. Dave. And I know after, you know, Q making an appearance, I know it's probably on your list of all time favorite Star Trek series <laughs> because you are. An illogical Star Trek fan when it comes to Q. It's like, it doesn't matter if it makes sense, throw them in there. And you know what? It doesn't make any sense, but it still was glorious. I was happy with it. I was happy with it. Having John Delancey come back and and guest star essentially as Q, that's something that none of us ever thought we would get. At any point, Within the last 10 years, Dave, did you ever think we would see Q ever again in any capacity? Any capacity. I know in the uh, throughout all the shows that me and you have covered for Star Trek, I've always wanted to see John Delancey back again as Q. Well, yeah. But in the back of my head, I was like going, no, we're never going to see it. We will never see it because John Delancey's a little too old now. <laughs> right. Well, they can, they can make it work in some way, but... They, they took a risk when they, they brought you into the Voyager series only because during the TNG run, it was never about Q is more about Picard. Yeah. Uh, that's why it worked. And then when you remove Picard from the equation, you kind of scratch your head at first and wonder, okay, why are you bringing Q in to Voyager? How are you going to make this work? And eventually they made it work because it became about him whenever he was in the show. It became about him as a as a character and his growth, and that's why it worked. But in a series like Lower Decks, you're not going to have that opportunity. It's going to be more for fun, more yeah. for kicks and giggles, and it did just that. I feel like Mike McMahon did a good job utilizing the fun aspect of Q, right? Oh, absolutely, and especially in this episode because, like, just of how everything was so random – that fits the type of storytelling that Q is, that frenetic pace, that frenetic, I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Goats are going to show up in the corridor or something just randomly. Okay. <laughs> or and, and I love the fact that 
in my opinion, mm-hmm. they understand how a Q story can be funny where everything happens so randomly, like the, the chess scene where all of a sudden just randomly the, they say, Oh, we're going to play soccer. All of a sudden the soccer gets arms and feet and starts making noises. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, going, yeah, this is what the Q universe is all about. It's about chaotic freneticness. Yeah, it was good. So if people can't tell, we are going to be talking about Lower Decks, episode seven of season one, titled Veritas, directed by Kim Arndt and written by Garrick Bernard. The synopsis, Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford are caught off guard when aliens force them to testify about a series of seemingly unrelated events. Now, Dave, are you ready to really get into this? Because this episode had a lot of Star Trek-ness going on. Yes. And that's why, for me, this is one of the best episodes of the season. This episode, yes, was a whirlwind of chaos, and I loved every moment of it. It was so ridiculous at every level that it worked. If you're not enjoying the series by now, then I feel like you just want to be mad. Yeah, pretty much. Because I'm, I'm with you there. Because I still see some people complaining about it. I still see some hate watchers and people who go to IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and just rate things really low just because they want to hate on it, well, even the, though they probably have not watched. Because I find it really hard for an objective Star Trek fan to push play and watch this and then go to Rotten Tomatoes or Twitter and bitch about it. Because well, there's nothing, there's no reason to bitch about this. Yeah, there's really nothing to bitch about. It. And the thing that I really do like is I just checked the score just prior to yeah. us starting the show. Yeah. And the score is slowly going back up. It, it is. And, and I'm, I'm hoping people will continue to check this out. And unfortunately, those first three episodes really set a bad precedent. Yeah. It set a bad tone for a lot of Star Trek fans. But I'm hoping those fans either A, continue to watch like we did, or they will eventually come back and give it a second chance once they see all the positivity on social media. I know various listeners of of ours have kind of tuned out at first. And then now because we're giving it, you know, in the upper eighties on our RMD score, they're now saying, wait a second, should I watch this? I'm like, yes, (laughs) Yes. you should be watching it. Yeah, you should watch it. I mean, the, the, the amazing thing that I remember when me and you were critiquing and questioning about the direction of the show we were wondering about Mike McMahon's talent of writing comedy shows. Right. And if you look at Lower Decks and compare it to his other ones, like uh, Rick and Morty and I can't remember the other one. Solar Opposites. Solar Opposites. Yep. The pacing is pretty much on par for what we know of his type of writing. It's getting there, yeah. It starts off slow and low first, and then it builds up. It just takes off. And it takes off like yeah. a rocket ship. Yep. And he's done, and it's pretty much. I feel very comfortable with this this series now, because yeah, no, I, I know that he's doing a fantastic job, and we see that basically his type of writing mm-hmm. is coming out and working for 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 the type of storytelling he's doing. Yeah, I agree. That's why I say if you're not enjoying this, you just want to be mad. Yeah, because you can't critically say it's bad. There's an argument. There's always an argument to be made. So just to be, you know, in the vein of fairness, there's always an argument to be made. And in the sake of this show, you can make the argument that it may not be your thing. 
Maybe yeah. this isn't your type of thing and you just don't like it. But to say it's bad, that would be false because critically on paper, this works from a critical standpoint. It's written well now. It's very entertaining, which is overall, that's that's the main ass or that's the main agenda for a series like this is to have fun to entertain and if you can give us those little nuggets of trek along the way that's all i really want at this point yeah and this episode was jammed with trek references after trek reference i feel like this one had a reference every 15 to 30 seconds but the beautiful thing right? about yeah, it the, did it seem like that about every fifteen or thirty seconds we got a new Trek reference, a new Trek Trek reference. But the but the the Trek reference used number one fit what we know of the Star Trek mythos. Every single Trek reference that they did with Q made sense to that character, right? And and it made sense to the scene in question. And so whenever that, there was a reference, it would apply to what was happening. Yeah, yeah. and on top of that. It not only it not only worked for the characters that they were referencing, but the references worked in pushing the ultimate story of the crew of the Cerritos forward. Yeah, and really pushing. The thing I love about this particular episode was how they really showed how different the crew of the Cerritos is for lower decks. Yeah, like when you we me and you have t- discussed in in a couple of episodes back about how every single crew of Star Trek has to establish themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the OST crew, you have TNG. They all, they're both very different. The crew of the D space nine is very different from those two and so forth and so on down to Voyager. Lower decks, the crew of the Cerritos had to fully establish the personality of their crew, not just their characters, but the crew itself. And this is the one episode where I can point at it and say, this is what the crew of the Cerritos is. You're right. And also, every crew has that opening growing pains. And I'm not talking about in the way of writing. I'm talking about the crew needs to form a dynamic. The crew dynamic, needs yeah. to form the proper chemistry to be a well-oiled machine. Of course, the easiest one to point to at the top of my head is Voyager. The fact that you had a Federation and a Maquis crew. Deep Space Nine, you had the Federation working with the Bajorans. You had a next generation, essentially an entire new crew thrown together, working together. So there's always that bit. Enterprise, you had the Vulcans versus the Federation, essentially. You know, the fact that there was no trust in and the star, not Federation, Starfleet. I just say Starfleet. there's no trust in Starfleet, uh, and you had that dynamic with DePaul and Archer, mm-hmm. and this one. And I'm getting to my point here when it comes to lower decks. This one did a few things that were very much on par with what came before in terms of Star Trek, and it addressed in the most comical of ways the issues of communication <laughs> yeah. on the ship. Communication has always been a big part of Star Trek. It's an element that a lot of people who discuss Trek don't always bring up. Typically, the philosophical aspects 
and or the diversity elements are what people are drawn to, us included. Yeah. But there is a big part of Trek that is the development or I should say the idea of interpersonal skills. That's what Trek is also about in various iterations of Trek, whether it be episodes, books, comic books. And interestingly, you can't have a debate on philosophy or express the ideas of diversity without communication. Communication. The Trek novelist James Swallow, who wrote the Discovery novel that focuses on Saru, understands this well. You and I have reviewed this for our Patreon subscribers uh, mm-hmm. a couple years back. And various other books he has written that I'm also reading use communication as the very foundation. And on that, everything else is built. Same thing with the current IDW Year 5 Trek series. How many issues now have we read where the big focus is interpersonal skills, communication? This is something I feel like a lot of modern television Trek writers are forgetting. Because a lot of people have this misconception that you have to focus on the flashiness. Focus on, you know, nowadays the nostalgia, but basically, you know, like the bright lights, the flashy battles. Let's have all these dramatic, epic moments. But also the easy stuff, the low-hanging fruit like diversity. Let's explore diversity, guys. Let's And yes, diversity has always been a part of Star Trek, but... None of these things, diverse, you can't work your way towards diversity. You can't work your way towards proper logic. You yeah. can't work your way towards the ideas of philosophical, or I should say, the ideas of philosophy without understanding the key elements of communication, of communication, which has always been embedded within the verse of Star Trek. The fact that you can have people debate, converse, the fact that diplomacy, is the key skill that many of our captains must have. Have. Now, bring it back to Lower Decks. They express the idea of communication. Since the very first episode, the aspect of communication, or lack of, has been alluded to being the problem on Cerritos. Since, I believe, the very first episode. Oh, yeah. It's built into the concept a bit. The idea that you have a team of ensigns who, for the most part, are left alone and are very rarely brought in on anything going on on the bridge. You get this crew that, for the most part, is always in a state of disarray because they don't know what the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Yeah. And that's the thing that 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 really in this episode they hammer out it and was it brought to the forefront and it was done very brilliant. It was Star Trek, dude. It was, it felt like a star. It didn't feel like Mike McMahon was pointing a finger at people, right? Soapboxing. No, it just felt like, Hey, communication guys. Communication is key in any Star Trek story. And when you think about it, I, I like the fact that you brought up that the idea of communication has been interlaced in throughout Star Trek history. Always. It has been in everywhere, even down to the new era of Star Trek, where you have Discovery. How did we? How do we start Discovery with the Klingon hello? Mm-hmm. How how they how the Federation first talked to the Klingons? 
and did a Klingon hello. Yeah, I agree with you, but also if uh, there was proper communication, Burnham never would have become a Exactly, but that's the story, too. There's no communication there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now, Dave, now if this was the first time they had brought this up, the aspect of communication. I'd say it was a coincidence. But for the most part, every episode this season has been about lack of communication. When yeah. you really start sorting through what's being said. Then looking at how it was highlighted in this episode, you can see that Mike McMahon has been working with this idea as a bit of a through line for the first season. Literally everything stems from this. All of this led to some really great development as well for our four ensigns and bridge crew. For example, the communication divide or rift was Thoroughly, or I should say so thoroughly explored in this episode through various perspectives that it was borderline genius. Yes. This writing decision really brought a level of objectivity to the thought on communication. Every character had a story to tell. Their truth. That's why. Now, keyword, their truth. That's why we had the trial as a backdrop (laughs) yes and despite the communication issues at the end of the day we see that they are just as fiercely loyal to each other as any other trek crew we've seen yeah that's what we want as well from our star trek team we don't want to see mariner despise the captain we don't want to see the captain despise her own daughter mariner or just kind of shrug off the incense, our core team, we want to see them really at the end of the day care about each other. And the fact that they all had a bit of solidarity there at the end and there was a mutual respect and understanding and the fact that the captain even says, hey, we're going to work on this communication aspect. And then on top of that, actually showing that even in the end, even though they learned this lesson, the crew learned this lesson, it's still a work in progress. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's the it's. It's part of the core concept of the show. It's not going to go away. It's just look at Voyager, right? And the Maquis Federation crew. That was something that I want to say, what, two, three years into the series they were still dealing with? Yes. It takes time. And this is going to be the same thing with with Lower Decks. What a great episode. It was. I mean, I love the, the way Mike McMahon weaved the story here. It didn't feel preachy. He got to a, a, a Star Trek philosophical point, which I wasn't expecting in Lower Decks any time. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you have this character building um, moment between all the crew down to the very last scene, even though, you know, like the captain looks at them and says, fine, everything's classified, just classified, everything's classified. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's why. But it addresses the fact that, hey, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. It do, it's not going to all of a sudden be fixed the next day. No, and we don't want it to be. Otherwise, we'd have a very uninteresting show. Now, Dave, are you ready for this? Okay. This is Star Trek. I have not said that yet about an episode. I said this episode, talking about our previous discussion, is the most Trek episode to date. But this episode is the epitome of of Star Trek in a comedic form. Yes. I will agree with you a hundred percent with that. And it's not just because my favorite character of all time. Oh, it is. In. 
but that's part of it. It's part of it. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. No, and honestly, and honestly, if I had any complaints, that'd probably be my only complaint. I love Q, but if you're going to bring Q in in any capacity, (laughs) he better mean something. His character, uh, the purpose of his character in TNG is one of the greatest writing devices of all time. It is. And let me just say this yet again. Okay. Websites out there, bloggers, useless bloggers. Hugh is not a villain. No, he isn't. He's not an enemy. He's not a foe. He's possibly an an antagonist at times when you break down the script. He's an obstacle. Yes. You can say on paper he may be written as an antagonist for the purposes of that episode. But overall, I would never think of of Q as the greatest villains. I'm tired of these articles that say, oh, he's on the top 10 greatest villains of Star Trek of all time. The dude was never a villain. He was an irritant. Yeah. But when you look at him and what his purpose was, he was a writing device. Exactly. And he was a genius writing device. I saw so many articles this past week, Dave. Hey, one of Star Trek's greatest foes returns. And I was like, like, Like he's not a foe. He's not a villain. You're a foe. He's at most, he's an entity within the Star Trek universe. The people that wrote that article, they're my foes. foes. I hate you. But like, the the, the beautiful thing too is like, it harkens back to uh, one of the, one of the biggest interview points that me and you always talk about is like, that time when they say, "Hey, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a Q episode," and then Gene Roddenberry stops the entire crew and says, "What's the point? What is the yeah. what's the reason? What's, what's your right. story?" Here, they use Q properly. Like they bring in Q, right? But there's a point to him. There's a point. Is that there though? Well, sure, because share his chaos, that with me. Because the chaos that he brings is part of disruptive the disruptive nature. Okay. I'll buy it. Is what helps the crew communicate. Okay. It's it's the chaos that brings brings them together. I mean, the the best part by far is like Mariner walking away from Q and saying, "No, go away, Q. I don't want to deal with you." And Q's like, Q's like, "No, you got you have to prove to me about why humanity is greater." And yada yada yada. Yeah, and I'm see, like, but like, that's that's just fun. And it's fun. It's fun, but. I'm against fun, Dave. I'm against fun. It ties into the story of how this crew has to overcome that chaotic chaoticness of their particular universe. I agree with that. To communicate with each other. Yeah, I do agree with that. For sure. And Dave, honestly, I've been hoping we could have an episode like this where we can have the... where we can have a discussion like this, where we can actually argue, like, what's yeah. the purpose of Q? What's the purpose of Q? You know, let's talk about communication. What, what what were they actually trying to do? And we finally got there. I didn't know if this show would end up being that. I know that this series is mostly about just having fun. Yeah. But I had hoped, like, please give us that at least one great episode that shows us that Mike McMahon really understands Star Trek. Yeah. And it feels like Star Trek, please. And this episode, Dave, definitely is that. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And alert. We do need to take a quick break, Dave. And then when we get back, we'll jump into everything else, including the thought that I so rudely interrupted right now. <laughs> we'll be right back. Energize.
All right, get more Star Trek from the holodeck every single month by pledging to our Patreon page. That's right. Head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to our podcast here where we put out additional Star Trek discussions each and every single month, including pre-shows where we talk about Star Trek and we get things ready to go for the regular show. We get into all types of topics. Sometimes we get into some very controversial topics like this latest one, Dave, and I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> very controversial. Who's better, Picard or Janeway? <laughs> Who's sexier, Deanna Troy or Nepal? Yeah, we get we That's get a tough that one. was made up. We actually I don't think we've ever actually discussed that. So head over to patreon.com and pledge five dollars or more a month and help us stay on the air because this is the only way we can keep doing these shows. Thank you. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I want to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoy our shows, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher. Search Star Trek from the Holodeck. And give us reviews, give us thumbs up, share the shows, help us trend, help trigger those algorithms so that more eyes see our show. Isn't that right, Dave? That's what we want. More eyes. More eyes. More attention for us. Yes. Maybe we'll attract a cue. <laughs> Maybe. All right, Dave. So what were we going to say before we went to break? Do well, you remember? On top of what I was going to bring up was like, not only does it affect like the references in Lord Decks affect the history of star Trek, but you can actually tie lower decks fully into the current star Trek, you know, iteration right now, especially when, in what way <laughs> my favorite moment oh, was I know, yeah. when they tell Q to talk to Picard. Yeah. And then he alludes to the fact that Picard's just gotten too boring and he, he, he spouts too much Shakespeare and wants is too, I think I wrote right here. He's running a vineyard back in France and he he's bemoans, drinking too much wine or something like yeah, that. He yeah. He bemoans the original target simply isn't as fun as he did in the during, during the events of the next generation. And it ties into Picard. <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Oh. References to a shitty show. Uh, uh, uh. 
it's a shitty show, but I'm I just do. Joking. Everyone, I don't listen. Don't. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say it out loud. Yes, you did. Embrace it. But I, I enjoy the fact that they included that because you know it's it's one of those little silly questions that everyone, when me and you were watching Picard, not just us, but a lot of fans were asking us, "Do you think Q's going to show up? Do you think Q's going to show up?" I know, Dave. You're so happy because you're like, <laughs> oh, it's all the same. And then, it can work. And then when you get to this moment, it's like you. I stopped and thought about it as a Trek fanboy. I'm like, yeah, Q would kind of look at Picard and say, you complain too much. I'm sorry. I'm out of here. Hopefully they put him back into Picard. Hopefully they bring him into Picard season two and he snaps his fingers and reverses <laughs> the golem effect. He just looks at him. Oh, mon capitan. He's I'm so all... sorry. Click. <laughs> oh, my. What have you become? What have you become? <laughs> oh, you're not a real boy any longer. <laughs> that would be so bad. <laughs> all right. So, Dave, you are taking us there. So let's just get into this. Uh, not only did we get an episode with intent and purpose. There was so much fun to be had from Star Trek references to parody moments that were built into the narrative. I laughed so hard at that scene where Tendi was reciting her truth about how she got involved into a black ops mission. (laughs) Yeah, that was and there was just stupid elements that was censored when they would say rock like obviously (laughs) they're saying Romulans. It's so stupid. It was so good. Uh, But also to see Q, as you had mentioned, it was awesome to have the one and only John Delancey reprise the role, even in voice. It was fun and yet authentic. The guy's voice hasn't changed in 20 plus years. It hasn't. The fact that he can sound the same. Many people lose the timbre in their voice as they age. Uh, the, The cadence, even the tone many times changes. And yet he sounds exactly the same. So that was awesome to see. And as you had mentioned, Dave, they did bring up a card. And just in case people may not be aware, if they had missed this part of our discussion, this is canon. Yes. So because it is canon, we are forced to look at a few things. What version of Q is this exactly? This is the judge cue. This has to be the judge cue. Well, can it be when he's talking about Bacar drinking wine? So hmm. this is taken, I believe, from I won't take all the credit on this little write up here. It's from Den of Geek. They say chronologically, the last time we saw Q was in Voyager season seven. Right? Yes. We all know that. And at that time, he'd just become a father and was willing to help out Captain Janeway and the gang. So what's up with Q? Did he go back to being a jerk, or is he actually more fun now than ever? It's also possible that this Q is from the future, at least relative to the Lower Decks. He says he's bored with Picard making wine all the time. In 2380, Picard isn't making wine yet. Feels like Q is referencing, of course, Jean-Luc Picard in 2385-2399 range in the series Picard. Of course, Q exists outside of all time and space, so some of this doesn't matter to him. But if he's seen the bleaker future for Jean-Luc Picard in the Federation in 2399, 
which of course he has, right? He's Q. Then it stands to reason he is back in 2380 to hang out in a more playful time. In other words, Q, like Trekkies everywhere, is probably nostalgic for this time in the 24th century. I didn't really think about it when I was watching because I just shrugged this off as kind of fun. So when there are those moments that I would question in terms of canon, I just kind of say, "Ah, well, that's just for shits and giggles. It's much like the salt vampire in this episode. We know know that they are extinct according to Star Trek canon, but now what? They're not. So there is a little bit of leeway or liberty they have to wiggle around and have some fun because for the most part, this is just a fun series. Yeah. But they do say it's canon because they are establishing new things. And I'm sure this crew will be referenced in some way down the road by one of our live action Star Trek shows. I'm sure. (laughs) Oh my God. That would be really awesome. And that would be an absolute feather in lower decks cap. Yeah, I think it would be actually kind of fun if they do that. So that's the questions that arise in a series like this, because you do have to question, well, if he's referencing something from Picard before Picard's even happened, and also why is this Judge Q when he kind of grew out of that menacing, childish childish behavior um, as we saw him grow quite a bit through the years, uh, particularly in Voyager? Yeah, but... I like the fact that he bring uh, they brought up in the article that this could be a cue that went back to a more friendlier time because that fits with his personality. Q is the type of person that well he, he has said as much. I believe in Encounter of Farpoint. The reason why he chooses this time period is because he's more drawn to it for whatever reason. Yeah, he's more drawn to to that time period because there's more exciting things to keep him to keep him entertained. Yeah. All right, so we do have another list here of references and Easter eggs. I don't want to go through all of them. Um, I know you have the list here, so I'm going to hit on a few, and then whatever ones you want to mention, then just go ahead and mention them. The trial, I like that part quite a bit. I wouldn't call that an Easter egg. It was essentially a writing device to transport the narrative ideas on communication, uh-huh. which I felt worked. That's how you use. Uh, that's how you do a proper parody, by the way. If you're going to reference or parody a moment in Star Trek, make it really fucking count. And it yes. did. It mattered to the show. Uh, but it was reminiscent of the Star Trek movie, The Undiscovered Country, when McCoy and Kirk were on trial on uh, within Klingon mm-hmm. trial, I believe. Yeah. Uh, there's another one where the engineer of the Cerritos, Phillips, makes a couple references to the TNG episodes. Uh, when he's running out of oxygen, he says, Mark Twain's got a gun. <laughs> and yes. Tasha, no. Uh, the garbage bag's behind you. The, Dwayne, the, <laughs> the Twain thing references Mark Twain, of course, pulling a gun on the TNG crew in Time's Arrow. And the Tasha comment, sadly, seems to reference Skin of Evil. Skin of Evil, yep. We all know that creepy episode. Oh yeah, but uh, but it, it is kind of funny because when I first thought when I first heard that one, I thought about it like going, yeah, he does kind of look like a trash bag monster, <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember me and you talking about how that character was so scary and menacing, but oh, then yeah. when you when you actually take a step back and go, visually, it does kind of look like a trash bag monster, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just the idea of the, the character idea. itself is very it's it's the embodiment of evil 
essentially. So they did a good job back in what, 1986 to create that aura of just uncomfortableness. Yeah. Or discomfort, I should say. Discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So do you want to go through the rest of that list? Anything that, uh, piques uh, your interest see. that we should. Unfortunately, note? unfortunately. Yeah. I'm taking a look at it and it's kind of like, unfortunately or fortunately or unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately I'm taking a look at it and yeah, just like not a lot, n- no Easter eggs, right? No Easter eggs. It's yeah. a lot of references. Yeah. I, the I, references, you know, I know I've said this before on a and show. We say it time and time but again. But the term Easter egg has everything to do with a message or an image or a feature that's hidden within a movie or video game, usually electronic medium. And it's typically designed to aid in subtext or overt narrative. It's an aspect to the story. It's a clue. And Easter egg is not these things at all. Now I always use the Picard wine aspect the reason why I would call various elements like that an Easter egg is because it clues you in that Picard's future is intact. That Picard, for whatever reason, his legacy or his ancestry, if you want to go back to Discovery and the Picard Chateau Picard yeah. was also in Discovery, which takes place in the past, is to tell us that Picard's around the Picard family. It creates a sense of continuity within the world of Star Trek. So I could say that's an Easter egg because it hints at a, a larger story, right? Yeah. And that's how an Easter egg should be. Yeah. Is it hints at a larger story pertaining to the series. Yeah. Cause if you go through some of these, just, just throw out one that they mentioned. They mentioned uh, one is the Vulcan nerve pinch. Yeah, that's not and an that's, Easter. That's egg. not an Easter egg. That's a reference. That's like saying a phaser is an Easter egg. Exactly. Yeah. Or even like, it's real silly. Some of these, I don't understand how they, as they're putting together the list, actually think it's an Easter egg. Now, or perhaps I don't, they just don't care. I don't consider this an Easter egg, but it was one of my favorite moments was when they were to- uh, talking about Roga D- uh, Dinar versus Khan. Oh yeah. That was a good one. That was a good that, one. That was a reference, but that yes. was a reference though. <laughs> Yeah. That was a reference. I That's love not an Easter egg. I love that whole discussion between Mariner and Boimler. Yeah. Because I'm like, I had to think for a second. I'm like, that's that shitty guy. Cause I just watched the episode <laughs> during one of my rewatches. The guy that Deanna Troy and Data were both drawn to. Yes. Who was being, um, essentially he was, uh, created to be a warrior. Yeah. And then when his, when his society no longer wanted him or, found use they put him in prisons yeah they cast him out yeah so it was an interesting story but i'm like come on connor Con, this loser this it's con every time and, and mr deep chest is what i mean i like is what tindy called them i like the fact that mariner has to bring up it's some dude nobody has heard of and i like going ow dude, ow i have to i have to go back on everything i said about mariner because even the actress uh tawny newsome there's a cadence to her voice and a certain octave she reaches when there's a certain level of desperation when she's trying to convince people of things that really makes me laugh. There's something yes. in her voice. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I've actually noticed uh, that her voice acting is getting better and better by the series is going. I really like her. Be- I like the actress and I like the character. Because no joke, at the very beginning, everyone should know this by now, I hated Mariner. There, everything about her annoyed me. Yeah. But 
as we've been going along, not only is she being written better and you're getting a better story, but she's getting um, executed better. You know, the, the voice acting is getting much better. I'm getting to see more emotion out of Mariner than just screaming <laughs> or being a douchebag. There, it, it's that cadence that she's getting, and I'm really excited to see if she gets this character down pat for at the end of season one. Dude, she's going to be fine in season two. Yeah. She might even be, you know, a lot of people have been wanting Mariner to be dead by the end of season oh, two. Jesus, a, a season dead. one, and I was one of them at the very beginning. But Calm down, David. I'm so violent over there. <laughs> I honestly think season two, Mariner's needed now at this point if... We get to the point at the very end where her story reaches a certain milestone, then yes, carry on that character ahead of time. Because honestly, dude, she's doing a fantastic job voice acting. Well, to be quite honest, there's honest, there's no reason to dislike this series at this point. No, it's a good show. It's a good show at this point. It's not an average show. It was average for about five episodes. And as the show just keeps, incre- I mean, it's only going to get better. It's not, they're not going to suddenly just drop the ball. The fact that every episode gets bitter, better and better and better. There's a pattern there. So as we progress, each episode is just going to get better and better. So I would call the show good at this point. It's a good show. It's highly entertaining. It's funny as hell. And we're getting more and more aspects that are starting to feel more and more like Star Trek. More and more like Star Trek, yeah. So, Dave, uh, give me your final thoughts and your RMD score. Okay. My RMD score for this one is 150% <laughs> because of Q. Well, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that because, you know, if I were to give it the legendary 100, it would be obviously because... Of my fanboyism. But I am going the legendary to. Legendary <laughs> If I were to give him my iconic 100. <laughs> my iconic 100. Eh, it might be way a little much. Your, way to put yourself over, Dave. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I am going to give, start off by giving off the score of a 90. This is, a, this is one of the best. And it's actually my personal favorite at this point of the season. I love this episode. This episode, he hit the perfect tripod, uh, the, the trifecta of what I was expecting out of this show. Do the references of Star Trek. Give me a give me a solid Star Trek like story, and continue and continue your your uh, story arc. In those three major points. The crew of Lower Decks did that and then some. I mean, the humor in this one is far better timed than any of the other episodes. Like, this took me at least four four watches. And even after the fourth uh, reviewing of this episode, I'm, I still pulled stuff out. Like, I giggled at a, at a couple of other scenes. That I'm like, I didn't even realize that one. Like, the Tindy stuff. It didn't hit me till like the reviewing of the second yeah. time. And I was like stopping it. I'm like, going, they're, they're beeping out all the stuff because Tindy's telling the story. <laughs> it's, it's clever. Yeah. This is the first episode that I had to rewatch because you now if I was just a casual viewer, I did, I wouldn't need to rewatch. Yeah. But because we cover this sh- show, 
I had to go back and rewatch it because there's just there's so much, there's so much going on. Yeah, we didn't even touch on the Rutherford stuff, which I thought was very clever. Dude, he's so good. Where all of a sudden he shuts down, yeah, wakes he, up, and suddenly he's done something amazing. Yeah, it's so good. And I kept thinking about he might be my favorite. That that's like a data moment when yeah. data shuts down and then does stuff or just does stuff automatically. Well, dude, when he said when he was being eaten by the Gorns, he's all shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was laughing at that one. Yeah. That one was funny. All right. So what's your score, Dave? I give it a 90. Okay. You and I are on the same page because I also have a 90% written here on my show notes. So yes, an R&B score of 90%. This is our highest rated episode to date. And rightfully so. The show is growing. It's getting better. Uh, Mike McMahon is really finding his feet when it comes to this show. His writers are doing fantastic work. And I'm really looking forward to the, the conclusion of the show because I can only imagine what he has planned. Hopefully it ends with an awesome TNG-like cliffhanger. I hope so, too. Like back in the day. It has to. When TNG did those, I'd be like, son of a bitch! (laughs) I love it, but I hate it as well. Oh, that's what Star Trek, all the Star Trek. dude, the Sons of Soong is that thing. When I think of To Be Continued, when it comes to any TV show, you know what the first thing comes to my mind? When Lore walks out with all the Borg and Data. Yeah. He's all the sons of Soong have been reunited. Have been reunited. To and be then, continued. To be, to be continued. Fucking love it, dude. My uh, That one and also Lacutus, the scene of oh, Lacutus. Oh, yeah, that's classic. Dude. When Riker is staring at the screen and then um, I am Lacutus, we are bored, resistance of futile, to be continued. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> I have to question Mike McMahon's ENG fanboy card if he doesn't end his show that way. I have to agree. He's got to. He's got to. got to end it just like that with To Be Continued. Because it's... And he has to use Roddenberry's wife voice. Oh, yeah, because every single time they have a To Be Continued, yeah. it's her. But the thing, Dude, the thing is, so good. especially since his, his uh, attachment to TNG, where a lot of the references that are yeah. being made are all the TNG. Yeah. So... It, to have it end with a to be continued would make sense because TNG is the only one I think that ever did that masterfully That'd with be a great. to be continued. They got to do it. All right. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everyone for following along and listening and dealing with our, our, I don't know, dealing with what we did a pretty good job this show. We didn't oh, talk yeah. about DePaul or seven of nine. Well, we did talk about bit. seven of nine all day. Yeah. We have a special Patreon tier just for that. (laughs) All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.